Welcome to the Movie Journey Podcast, where we break down every film from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson. And, oh, is this a rash? Oh, man. Wow, that's terrible. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, and I'm Dean Jeffrey, and I lost my faith in the human soul long ago, Hendo. And today we're breaking down Akira Kurosawa's classic, Rashomon. <laughs> rash man Hendo. <laughs> Do you know how, many time, how long it took me to actually get the spelling of Rash-O-Mon right? I was like, where are the O's? Where are the yeah, A's? I thought it was like Rosh-O-Mon at one point. Yeah, Rosh-O-Man. I thought it was Rosh-O-Mon. <laughs> rosh art man So, Rashomon, released in 1950, directed by Akira Kurosawa, tells the story of the rape of a bride and the murder of her samurai husband that are recalled from the perspectives of Abandoned, the bride, the samurai's ghost, and a woodcutter. It stars Toshiro Mifune, Machiko Kyo, Masayuki Mori, and Takashi Shimura. So, have you seen Toshiro Mifune in anything else, Dean? Yes, of course. Have you, Hendo? Yes, he's definitely in Yojimbo, which we've done a breakdown on. Yes, we have. What year was Yojimbo? Was it before or after this, do you know? I would say after, because I don't think we did a, a 40s film. Yojimbo is 1961. Yeah, definitely after. Oh, there you go. All right. Cinematography by Kazuo Miyagawa, who also did the cinematography for Yojimbo, and music by Fumiya Hayasaka, who did the score for Seven Samurai and Ikaru. Two more top 250 films there. Very good. I mean, I think we've we've said many, many times throughout our little journey here that, uh, yeah, directors love using the same people. Yeah, I mean, what, you know, if what's the bloody word? What's the saying? Better the devil you know. No, if <laughs> if it ain't oh, it's a simple one. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. So during shooting, the cast approached Kurosawa with the script and asked him, "What does it mean?" And the answer Kurosawa gave at the time, and also in his biography, is that Rashomon is a reflection of life. And life does not always have clear meanings. What a bullshit answer. Yeah, it's so vague. What does it mean? Oh, it's unclear. Yeah. Yes, that's why we're asking you. <laughs> <laughs> so this was one of the very early uses of the handheld camera technique. Uh, they use it in the shot where the camera follows the character closely through the woods. Okay, sure. I read that it was uh, one of the first times that the camera had been pointed directly at the sun, Hendo. Yes, I did see that too, actually. How do you reckon they uh, got away with that? No one's looking into that camera, that's for sure. I mean, I think you just said how they did it. You can just, just point the camera without having someone look through it. They could just be wearing sunnies, you know? <laughs> so there's obviously a lot of rain in this film, a lot of downpours, especially at the Rashomon Gate. And Kurosawa found that the rain in the background wouldn't show up uh, against the light grey backdrop. So to solve this problem, they ended up tinting the rain by pouring black ink into a tank of the rain machine. This rain is so incredibly fake. Well, clearly it's got black ink in it. I mean, black ink aside, it's it's, it's too much rain. Like, I get you want to have a downpour. It's like someone's just throwing buckets. Heavy weather, Dean. All right? There are parts of the world that could, this, this could happen to. Hmm. I bring up the the you know, tinting the rain and that because there is another film we've done a breakdown on where they actually distorted the colour of the rain in a certain scene to make it show up onto the camera. Do you remember what that film was? Donnie Darko. No. Rain is very essential into the title of the film. Rain Man. Have we done Rain Man, you idiot? How would I know? <laughs> How would you know if you've done a Rain Man breakdown? <laughs> you think I'd remember that? <laughs> it is the other 50s classic, Singing in the Rain. Ah, Singing in the Rain, of course. 
Yes. Yeah. What did they do with that? They changed the colour, did they? With black ink. No, they added milk <laughs> to it. So they had the white. So it would shine. Because it was a colour film. So they needed it to be bright and white. I mean, uh, yeah. Okay. No wonder he was sick. Like, I thought if you're sick, you're meant to stay away from the milk. Maybe it was milk of the poppy, Hendo. What's that from? If you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to guess it, like, in a you know quick amount of time. Just tell me. Milk of the poppy. Ah! Nah, just tell me. We'll be here all night. Just Googling milk... <laughs> <laughs> of the poppy. Uh, yeah, apparently when you Google milk of the poppy, it doesn't immediately know that you want the movie quote. <laughs> uh, milk of the poppy, what would that be? That would be Game of Thrones. Is it? Uh, I don't know. That was the first thing that came up. I'm going to say yes. All right, from now on, can you please not say quotes or anything like that if you don't know where the where it comes from? I promise nothing. Just from now, how about we do a different from now on? From now on, can you either A, get the quote immediately, or B, not question me on the quote if you don't know it? I'll just say, oh, that's from such and such. You'd be like, yeah, that's right. I'm like, no, it's not. I mean, you could. You could say, oh, yeah, that's from Singing in the Rain. I'd be like, really? <laughs> so even during the brightest part of the day, Parts of the forest that the crew needed to shoot in were still too dark. So rather than using a regular foil reflector, which did not bounce enough light, Akira Kurosawa and the cinematographer Kazuo Miyagawa, they opted to use a full-length mirror. So the crew bounced the light from the mirror through the leaves and onto the trees to soften it and make it look like even more natural sunlight. And Miyagawa later called it the most successful lighting effect he'd ever done. Okay, I mean, it sounds pretty obvious, doesn't it? Like, why are they using foil to reflect light? Like, hey, we have a better product here. A mirror. <laughs> like, what the fuck is this foil for? This is a, an innovative film using new things to teach, teach moviegoers how to uh, make films. Like, they're, they're saying we use the foil to reflect the light. They're using something for a reflection and they didn't immediately think, hey, mirror. Maybe they thought if they used a mirror, they would get some reflections of the cast and crew. They're not filming the mirror. <laughs> But the mirror's going to be there to reflect the sunlight. Maybe. Who knows? I don't know. I've never made a film. Clearly. If you had, you would you would know this. So in his autobiography, Kurosawa recalled that one of the biggest problems his crew encountered while filming in the forest was that the slugs kept dropping out of the trees and onto their heads. Where the fuck the, were they filming? In a forest. I, I don't understand this slugs just falling from trees. What What are the slugs thinking here? What do you mean? They're not. Why would they be thinking anything? What are these suicidal slugs? Do you think the the, the slugs are going to die when they fall out the tree onto the grass? I mean, there's a chance. No, there's no chance at all. Surely they have a better a better life in the trees. How do you think the cast and crew helped you know, fix this problem? I mean, I know personally when I have a slug problem, it's not mirrors. I, okay, I, I tend to cover myself in salt. <laughs> what did the crew do, Hendo? Have you done some reading on this movie, Dean? Ah, I did a little bit of reading, Hendo. You know me. Yes, they slathered themselves in salt. Like, seriously. <laughs> How do these people even make films? I mean, it's not like they put themselves in salt and the slugs are going to, like, like, like it's a force field. Like, it's going to fall and, like, bounce away. Like, it's not even <laughs> going to hit them. It's not going to land on them. Like magnets. Yeah. It's not like just falling down, like, oh, shit, it's salt. Change of direction. <laughs> I mean, you don't think slugs think at all, but uh, clearly they do because they're anti-salt. They just don't have suicidal tendencies, okay? Anti-saltite. But this film was released in Japan on the 26th of August in 1950 with a runtime of 88 minutes. A smooth 88 minutes. Very smooth. Good pick from me, Hendo. 
<laughs> already, just from the runtime, with a tagline of the husband, the wife, or the bandit. Okay, I don't like that tagline. Makes it sound like it's like a like a murder mystery. Who did it? Was it the husband? Was it Isn't the it wife? Though? It's kind of a murder mystery. <sighs> I, uh, is it? You could say you could almost say it's a courtroom drama. Yeah, if only I'd known last week, I could have put it <laughs> in my list. <laughs> Ah, good joke, Hendo. (laughs) (laughs) The box office gross is a bit weird here. The budget, it was $250,000, but IMDb have it at a worldwide gross of 46,000. 46,000 yen? Because that's not a lot, Hendo. I'm sure it was wildly successful in America. Well, when the film was released internationally to rave reviews, many speculated that Kurosawa was influenced by Citizen Kane in the element of flashbacks that ultimately provided conflicting accounts of events. However, Kurosawa apparently didn't even see Citizen Kane until after he released Rashomon. I mean, I don't buy that for a second. Citizen Kane is the Citizen Kane of Citizen Kane's. Like, surely a <laughs> film director such as Akira Kurosawa would want to see this film. That's that's the kind of review you put, that one-liner review you put on the DVD or Blu-ray of Citizen Kane. This is the Citizen Kane of Citizen Kane's. <laughs> Dean Jeffrey, movie journey. <laughs> so the title of the film, Rashomon, has recently been added to the Oxford English Dictionary as describing resembling or suggestive of the film Rashomon, especially in being characterized by multiple conflicting or differing interpretations. What an honor. In fact, the title of Rashomon has become part of popular culture in the context of- Popular, the Hendo? Ru- yeah, popular. Slash pop culture in the context of the Rashomon effect, which refers to when people have different perspectives of the same thing or event. And that's what a lot of films since this came out have had them being described as. Like when you see other films that do this sort of unreliable narrator or you know people telling different sides of the story, they often say to, like that it's the Rashomon effect. I mean, our top five for this week is top five unreliable uh, narrators in film or unreliable narrator films, however you want to word it. Is there a film, what film would you say is closest to this? Because, spoiler for my list, a lot of them are like single person narrators who are telling a different story um, than what is true. Whereas this has three, four? Three or four different perspectives here on the one event. Is there another film where we get multiple points of view? Ooh, I think I might have one. I'm trying to think. There is one in my top five that I'm thinking it might have two. Because it is unusual. It is. It definitely is. But this got released internationally, I think, yeah, I think it was a year later. It was nominated for Best Art Direction, Set Decoration in the Black and White category, which it lost to The Bad and the Beautiful. It was often credited as the reason the Academy created the Best Foreign Film category. It also won an honorary award that year. It was voted by the Board of Governors as the most outstanding foreign language film released in the, in the United States during 1951. It also won the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival in 1951 as well. So, got a lot of accolades when it was released internationally a year later. Surprised it didn't make more money. That's why I think this gross thing is grossly inaccurate. Well done. Brilliant. Can't wait for all those zingers you got coming up. Oh, got to provide something on this one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dean, uh, critics or audience for Rotten Tomatoes? Critics. Critics have it at 98% and audience have it at 93 Wow. Metacritic, 98 What? Jesus. I thought it was against the rules for them to have anything higher than 80. Letterboxd, 4.2. But of course, let's take a look at the history of Rashomon in the IMDb Top 250 list. This debuted onto the very first list, the 26th of April, 1996, at number 101. 
The lowest it ever got to was 151 about a year later, and then it started to gradually peak up. The highest it ever got to was at 43 in 2005, and then since then, for the last 15 years, it has just gradually dropped down little bit by little bit to where it currently sits at number 127 with an 8.2 over 149,000 votes. That's high. That is very high, my friend. And I think you can tell from maybe our tone there, maybe it's maybe it is a bit too high. Why don't we break it down, Dean? Let's do it. They really they really set up that this story that we're about to hear is the most horrible story they've ever heard. I wish they didn't. I really, really wish they didn't hear because I I mean, maybe maybe it was a good thing. Because for this brief moment, I was genuinely interested. Right? There was, dare I say it, intrigue whilst I was watching this film in this bit. I was like, what could be so horrible? They talk about famine and what else do they say? Fire, war, all sorts of really, really bad stuff, but nothing compares to this event. And my God, does it fizz out. What have you put down for the names of these characters? Uh, Bandit, wife, uh, the first guy, the new guy, uh, the priest. <laughs> I, I had first guy, which I changed to woodcutter after they called him that. Yeah. I've got priest. I've got third guy. Yeah, new I've got, guy. I've got Tajumaru. Nah, Bandit. Nah. There's no way I'm writing Tojumaru. No, no, I, I, I shortened it to Taju. Taju. <laughs> uh, he's the only one with a name in this film. Yeah. yeah. And then I've got wife and samurai. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't realize that Rashomon was the name of the place that they're at, this destroyed temple. Yeah. It's amazing they get so much shelter from the rain uh, looking at this exterior shot of this temple. Yeah, it's looked, it's dilapidated, it's destroyed. It's like, how is there not holes coming through the, wa- through the roof? It looks like burnt. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't make sense considering the, the setting, the weather. Yeah, like I was thinking where- the buckets and buckets. Yeah, what happened? What happened to this place? Because they were talking about how they were, they've just gone to this court to, um, you know- uh, Testify. Testify. Testify, that's right. Testify. <laughs> now, did, did they say that they did that that day? I don't know. Can we just say uh, we'll find out? And hopefully I've written it in my notes. I don't think it was that day. I really don't. I think it was a few days prior. These two aren't people. They like. They don't know each other. It seems like they met at this court. Yeah. And it's like they've just done. They've just gone to testify, and now they're. It's like just after the fact. Yep. <laughs> so where did all this bloody rain come from? I mean, I guess it's it's nearly flooding. The weather is very Melbourne esque. Right, you know, <laughs> multiple seasons in one day. Clearly, it was. I mean, it's beautiful weather when they're giving the testimony. Like that courthouse weather is sunny as. Yeah. And now it's just like it hasn't rained in ten years, and finally, you know, Mother Nature has opened up. So we get the initial setup here from the woodcutter, the first guy. It was about three days ago, where he's walking through the forest, and he he finds uh, some rope. He finds what is find the little uh, amulet with the red lining. All right, hold on. So, we say three days ago this happened. So, maybe it was that day because now I'm a fan of swift justice, but this is ridiculous. Three days. In three days, they've already heard all the testimony. (laughs) I mean, what happened? That's what I want to know. Where did we go so wrong as a society that it now takes years, in some cases, to get this stuff going? No, 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 no. This is like... The three days is what is prior to the te- the testimony. So the testimony must have happened that day. That, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. The event saying it was a three, three day days testimony. ago. So I yeah. think I think the testimony was that day. Yeah, it has to be. So he sees the woman's hat on the branch. He sees the samurai hat that's been stepped on. I mean, look, come yeah. on. Let's be honest. You did not know that was a samurai hat. <laughs> he said it was a samurai hat. 
Yet later he says it. I, I wrote down, is that a shoe? <laughs> I was like, what is this? <laughs> I was like, okay, the first thing is definitely, definitely a hat. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. A hat, a shawl maybe. <laughs> also, this, the priest says that he has to testify because he met the, the dead man. How do these two find out about what happened? And do, do they get summoned to go testify? Like, do they get a letter? Hey, were you with this person at this time? How did how do they all get together with this information so quickly as well? Yes, I mean it must be a very small village. I mean, I mean it must be maybe you know village of 12, 13 maybe, and they just sort of yell like, "Hey, the case is starting!" And then everyone comes over. It's like, "Were you there? No, were you there? No, were you there? Well, yeah, I was. All right, come sit down. Let's put a camera in your face." <laughs> I don't think that's how it happened at all. I got to say this this scene of. Uh, what are we calling him? The woodcutter walking here. I know it's a short film. This scene was too long. <laughs> like, he walks for ages. You could halve the walking time and not lose anything here. I, I didn't have a problem with the length of this walking. It's long walking. And you go for long walks. I mean, yeah. I used to. i got to be honest. I don't really uh, walk much anymore because of the uh, uh, legalities around wearing face masks. <laughs> so I, t- I tend to go for rides because you don't need to wear a face mask. I mean, I could run without a face mask if I could nah. run. <laughs> yeah, no, no one's running. <laughs> so the bandit is uh, he's caught by this this policeman. I know, like, you probably don't remember this, but this uncredited cameo by this policeman was uh, one of the people in Yojimbo. He was like the goofball person. I remember the goofball. Yeah, well, that's him. I don't remember the policeman in this film. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who caught him who's sitting next to him. They show the story about oh, how that he- that guy, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, he was thrown from this stolen horse. Yeah, that's right. So what do you think of Toshiro Mifune in this film as Tajimaru, the bandit? Hey, he doesn't grab me, I've got to be honest. No one grabs me in this film. Uh, I, he was annoying. The laughing was irritating. I'm not sure what effect they were going for. Was that it he's meant crazy. To, was it meant to be funny? It's a weird sense of humour. I mean, you know, it's Japanese. It's a different culture. Maybe yeah. this is like a, a funny thing. Very anime. You know how the characters are just like normal and then their head will go back and their mouth will get really wide and they'll do that crazy laughter and then it'll like stop as quickly as it started. I just had Terrence and Philip in my head then when you did that. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's more Canadian than Japanese, yes. but okay. <laughs> Whatever helps you. So what does he say? What does he explain to himself here? The, the reason why he fell off the horse? Like he didn't get he didn't get thrown off. Like he's he got, he's got too much pride for that. Apparently he what did he do? He drank the water out of the river, and he reckons that there must have been a poisonous snake further up because he would have drank that that venom or something, and he he got sick. Then he got off the horse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they didn't really. Did they explain? I know you're going to say, yeah, of course they did, but did they explain why he had so many arrows in him? Did he? Ha- he didn't have arrows in him. Didn't he? I don't think he did. Okay. I'm pretty sure he had arrows in his back, but okay. He was on the sand. He had arrows in his back. Okay. I must have missed that. Okay. But just from this, you can tell that Tajo, or Bandit. Bandit. He, he's he's big on pride. Like He he doesn't want to come off as you know weak. He doesn't want to admit that he was thrown, thrown off the horse. He has to give a story for that reason. And you can see when he starts telling his story... His his version of the story. He's the, he's the big man. He is the he's powerful. He's, yeah, he, he he's the best samurai. He kills he, the guy. Like we say, yeah. you know, is this a murder mystery? I mean, he says it fourteen minutes in that he kills the guy. Yeah, but then she says that she killed him, and then the the buddy medium, the ghost person, says that I killed myself. Yeah, yeah. We'll but get what to, I like about we'll get it, to the medium. 
What a like. Yeah. Okay. Is that your excellent? <laughs> oh my god! I completely forgot to do an excellent for this film. I think that's very indicative of this film. Can uh, I be honest? Yeah. Me too. Wow, I'm going to have to try and pull something from an excellent here. Hmm. Okay, something to think about. What I, what I mean by this is when you see that his story, his version of it, he's, you know, he's the best out of all of them, he's confident, he's he, he can do whatever he can, he can do the everything he needs to. And then when you get to the actual story at the end, he's he's weak and he's scared and like he flounders around the place like he yeah. just has no idea what he's doing. Yeah. And that just shows the, the characteristic of this bandit. Yeah. But of course the bandit's going to paint himself in the light where he's, you know. I mean, they all are. Massive. Uh, but yeah, no, like, did you buy the the instant love here or lust at least between the bandit and this woman? Like he says, oh, everything changed because of this breeze. And I was like, okay. And he just sees her. Now, like, she's. Here we go. She's. <laughs> Did he not see her eyebrows? <laughs> Why is she so surprised all the time? <laughs> uh, just, like, he goes on about how fierce she looks. I'm sorry, but in no timeline does she ever look fierce. I knew you were going to point out those eyebrows. I mean, how could you not? Yeah. Now, this samurai, the one who dies, I thought he would have been, like, a smarter man. No, he's not smart. Um... Well, then again, then again, in the bandit story, he is not smart at all. Is there any he, story where he's smart? Uh, we'll get to those. But this one, he acts particularly dumb when the bandit is saying, "Hey, I've got all these swords I found. Why don't you follow me through this bush and now I'll a, get them a, for you?" A samurai carries two swords. Now, I don't think samurai are walking around like, "Gee, I could use some more swords." <laughs> I can never have enough swords for a samurai. Like these are these are mobile people here. Like, why would you want to add all that weight to you? Just a couple of swords, you're laughing. But even this bit here, so he he overpowers the samurai in this quick wrestle here. Then he goes to the lady and says, "Your husband's been taken sick." He leads her to the husband, who is tied up, and then rapes her. Right? What kind of sicko is this that he has to do this in front of the husband? Why does he need to lead her to the husband to rape her? Well, this is his story that he wants to, I don't know, probably go down in notoriety, wants to be remembered. It's just weird. Well, it doesn't happen like that. I mean, in this story, it does. Yeah, but this is his recounting of it. He's been caught, so he may as well tell you know, the harshest story ever to be memorable. Yeah, this, this, I must admit, I was watching this like, what the fuck is going on when he starts kissing her and she drops the sword and starts kissing him back? I was like... Uh, what? The whole changing of opinions from this woman in every single story, it's its weird. Yeah. It, it's its odd from the bandit here. We're back to the courthouse. He's laughing. He's very proud of himself here. But in this version of the story, uh, the wife says, one of you's got to die. Uh, yeah, she can't, she can't, she can't live shame. with Yeah, she can't live with the, the two men thing. I think she'd struggle in today's society. i gotta, I got to be honest. Yes, yes. But this samurai fight, I mean, it's it's clean. Like, it's uh, it's very well choreographed. Like, these two clearly look like they've had some experience with the sword. It is a long battle. The way... Hold on. Let's uh, just band- stop there. Let's stop there. Let's stop there. So, here's a guy, this bandit, right? Mm. Who will trick this samurai into catching him, tying him up, will lead a helpless woman to her husband and rape her in front of him, but then must 
absolutely must untie this man to fight him and kill him. Like, surely, if you are, if you have no, like, moral center such does this mm-hmm. bandit, just kill him. He's tied up. Why risk your life? Yeah, I agree. That's why this story doesn't make any sense. But she runs away in this story. Hold she, on. She's not having any of this. <laughs> I, li- I like that he counted the cross swords 23 times. I remember <laughs> because no man had ever gone more than 20. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, come on, mate. Get off it. He does it in this story and I think in the other stories. The way he, he kills a samurai, it's like he throws the sword. Yeah, like a spear. Yeah, yeah that's weird. Just cut his head off. I mean... So we hold on. So we get we get a version later where the samurai kills himself. Seppuku. Yeah, commits seppuku. Is there no like uh, nineteen? Oh shit! <laughs> this this film is not set in the fifties, nineteen fifties. Is there no you know ancient era Japan version of an autopsy where they can tell if someone was stabbed with a sword or whether they had their guts ripped open? No. Sure, that would be pretty easy to be like, hold on. He said he stabbed him, and this guy, this medium, says that uh, he committed suicide. Maybe, maybe it's like order, order. You know, bring the body order in. in the court. Uh, can we, can we actually look at the body? <gasps> look at the body. Wow, this is revolutionary. What kind of sick, disgusting judge wants to look at the dead body? <laughs> the bandit's like, no, no, we don't, we don't need to say that. That's fine. Don't, don't just believe me, please. Key piece of information here that they talk about this dagger that she left behind and he forgot to get it, mm. which will come back at the very end, Yep, which I completely forgot about. See, now in the the wife's perspective here, when she comes to the, the court to do her testimony, she's not fearful at all in this story. She is a sooky mess. Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, yeah, she's, yeah. I mean, what do you say? She's very soft. And the, the samurai is portrayed in this story as kind of a prick. Like, the bandit runs away, and he just gives her this stare down, this cold, cold stare down. Like, is he is, it, is he ashamed of her? Oh, yeah, this this weird look that she goes on about. Uh, yeah, so much loathing and coldness. Yeah, it's it's odd. Uh, yeah, she cuts him free here, apparently, tells him to kill her. He refuses. She faints, and then when she wakes up, he's dead. <laughs> Like, <laughs> she what? can't even admit to it. This story sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and she tries to kill herself by throwing herself into a pond, Hendo. <laughs> like, come on. There are blades around you. I <laughs> know. Oh, Just take that dagger out and finish the job. Uh, her story has holes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like I like the bandit story better out of these two. Hmm. But how can you go past the the medium? Wow. How good is this scene where she's dancing around and trying to summon the, uh, the ghosts. First of all, hang on, hang on. Before we get into it, why are these two guys sitting in the background this whole entire time? Why do they need to be there? They're probably the jury. I don't think they are. I don't think you can testify and be part of the jury. Ah, uh, who knows how things worked back then, Hendo. I mean, where are, like, if they're testifying and then sitting there watching, where's the where's the bandit? Where's the wife? Are they sitting there watching after this? Bear in mind, they- this is a, a courtroom that allows a medium to speak from beyond the grave. <laughs> As testimony, <laughs> it's fact. All right. So yeah, let's let's get the 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 samurai's version of events here, allegedly, which is so stupid. Like honestly, can we just say this is ridiculous? This is Mike. <laughs> this is so stupid. <laughs> and this woman just over overacts something horrid. I was like, oh. She's well, so she's possessed. Annoying. She's possessed by the ghost dean, and she's even more surprised than the wife with the eyebrows, Hendo. The eyebrows. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> Back on the eyebrows. 
Uh, okay, so what does she say? She says that after the bandit attacked the woman, he tried to console her. He was very gentle. He falls in love with her, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the bandit wants her to be with him. He only attacked... Oh, I love this. He only raped her because he loves her. Ah, hmm. uh, that's what that's what they all say. Uh, who is this guy? Noodles? Ha <laughs> 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 um, Seriously? <laughs> Okay, so the wife says, take me wherever you want, please kill my husband. So, I mean, we do get a a few versions here where the wife really does, you know, want this husband dead. But the bandit kind of flips it around on her. Yeah, how this very honourable and respectable rapist is just so disgusted (laughs) with this woman saying, well, you must kill the husband then. (gasps) What? I I, I mean, I rape, but I never kill. This is a guy who is now infatuated with this woman, right? Come with me, live with me, be with me forever. Um, okay, listen, you've convinced me. All right, I'll do it. Just let's get rid of my husband, you know. He might pose a bit of an issue for us. And he's just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so why why is the the samurai, the ghost samurai, telling this story? Like, is he, pre- is he too proud? Like, he obviously wants to say, oh, I killed myself because no one could kill me. But why is he flipping it back around on the wife? Because he's disgusted with her. Is he trying to make the the bandit less likely that he would kill him? I don't know. I think in every version, the husband's disgusted with the wife. Uh, not not um. Is he disgusted with her in the first one? I don't know. Maybe he's not given <laughs> an opportunity. Pretty sure he is. Uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, you're asking like, why is the samurai wanting to tell this story? Has it ever occurred to you? That this medium is just, you know, <laughs> trying it's to get paid, story. right? <laughs> <laughs> that this is the worst story out of all of them because it's, you know, beyond Not the him. grave, Hendo. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a testimony from the deceased. It's he knows. made up, Hendo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she runs away and the bandit hold chases on, hold her. Hold on, hold on. Before, oh, okay. before we go further, uh, I'm just... I'm just amazed here. So we've got after the bandit is uh, disgusted with the wife here, he asks the samurai if he wants him to kill him. And the samurai says via the medium, for these words alone, I was ready to pardon his crime. Yeah, I wonder if the rape victim was ready to pardon his crime for that. (laughs) And the bandit comes back hours later, mind you. The bandit comes back, cuts this guy loose. And, you know, this guy's very upset. The samurai, he's crying. Knoffs himself. It's the honourable thing to do, apparently. But then, where was the blade? The dagger was probably close to him. He just couldn't reach it. He sat there for hours. Didn't move, which I found kind of funny. Yeah. But, you know, you may have forgotten that this is actually a story within a story because it's the woodcutter that's telling this story. Let's get back to him at the Rashomon Temple. He is adamant that he was killed by a sword, not a dagger. Yeah. What do you think of, like, the first, like, the woodcutter, the priest, and the other guy there interactions as this is going it's pretty boring i'm gonna be honest uh yeah it's not for me <laughs> i preferred the stories i prefer yeah, seeing the i agree yeah the events play out um rather than these three just speak but i think what the overriding theme of this film is is oh so they bring it up it's like faith and like a loss in humanity and i mean it's a bit of a stretch honestly <laughs> What, your opinion on the themes of this film is a bit of a stretch? Like that the priest would lose his faith in humanity because these people lied? Yeah, like he's a priest. He surely would be hearing the the good and bad from everyone. Yeah. 
I'm still not seeing how this is just the most horrible thing that he's ever heard. <laughs> I don't get it. Like, uh, and, and it's not even it's not even about that she was raped or he was killed. Is they lied? Yeah, they lied about the story. Exactly. The greatest sin of all, Hendo. So we get to the, the I guess the fourth story here, the woodcutter story. Yeah, apparently he knows it all. Yeah, but he didn't want. Why, why didn't he want to? Oh, that's right. He didn't want to say because he's taken the dagger because it's a quite it's quite a pricey item. Yeah, and the third guy's all over it too. When he, when you get back to it, yeah. So, so what's the what's the real story here? So hold on, like, are we are we convinced that this is the real story? Yes, he has no reason to lie about this now. He is an actual you know witness that that isn't partial in any way. He's just someone who's been walking along and has seen this. Yeah, but I think what we can tell is that um, people's memory can differ on the same event from, uh, you know, person to person. I think that that is a key theme here, Hendo. And the problem with this story is you never see him, like, looking, watching. Yeah. Like, he says he saw this. You never get a shot of him, like, hiding behind a tree and watching. No. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe, you know, I hope he didn't enjoy it too much is all I want to (laughs) say. Cutting his own wood. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> yeah, so the bandit here, he he's not the the strong proud man he was in the first one. He's basically begging her to be with him, and then starts threatening her, saying, you know, he'll uh, he'll kill her if she doesn't. That's not a good tactic. It's not a good uh yeah. good way to convince someone. Yeah, I mean, you know, we did Rebecca recently and that marriage proposal was pretty off. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm asking you to marry me, you little fool. Uh this one's even worse. Uh if you say no, I'll kill you. I mean, well, there you go. What do you say to that? You don't say no. And she's kind of right in her testimony. Like, she won't stop crying. She's a blubbering mess. So, at least she was kind of telling the truth. Yeah. Uh, she says, though, how could she, a woman, make much, such a decision? I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly done in the 50s. Wow. They really hammered home that you are a lowly woman back then, didn't they? But it's correct that she wants them to battle each other, basically over her. It's like, yeah. is she is she that worth it? Apparently not to the samurai because he rejects this fight. She's not worth it. Yeah. Why am I going to risk my life for this? <laughs> You've been with two men. Why don't you kill yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Pretty strict back in the day. I reckon. Where did it all go wrong, Hendo? <laughs> but the bandit he follows suit. He's not gonna. He's not gonna partake in this now. And yeah, she gets. She gets a bit angry here. And I guess you know if you're gonna include her, her discussion, convincing them two to fight, include the fight as well. I, I guess this is my excellent. Uh, I'm not gonna have one. I don't think any scene is worthy. Uh no. You will have one. No, nope, I refuse. No, you can't do this. If that's the case, you have to put this at the bottom. You have to put this. In the, this has to be below Ben Hur. There's no standout scene in this film. Doesn't matter. You still got to pick one. There's been no standout scenes in other films that we've had to pick one. This is. I mean, what have we got here? The horse is worth more. I mean, sure. Why not? It's all. It's all pretty weak. You gonna do it for this one? <laughs> or you gonna wait? Wait. You gonna wait for after with the the no. the, the baby? <laughs> it's not after. <laughs> all right. This is also Dean's. Excellent. Ah, uh, fine choice, good sir. Yeah, but not really. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just, I just like it how she does a pretty damn good job convincing them to fight. Basically, calling them cowards, man up, do the right thing. And I like how the fight is nothing Terrible. like that. Yeah. yeah, they yeah. touch swords once and then like run away yeah. from each other. <laughs> They're scared as fuck. That the 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 battle is clumsy and sloppy. They're running around and falling all over the place. The bandits shaking all the time. Yeah. It's just a stark contrast to what they've been saying actually happened. 
I mean, this scene goes on way too long as well. This fight, it's yeah, kind of true. Yeah, glad I didn't pick it for my excellent. <laughs> uh, what have we got? Uh, so the bandit kills him, and then the bandit tries to kill the woman. She yeah, runs away. It? Why? Why? Who knows? I guess she was a one and done kind of gal. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> But that's the end of that whole story. Like, you don't see them again. What the real point of this story is, is that there's a baby with them. Just decided to make some noise now. Mm, yep. Like, I'm I'm certain they've been talking about this story for a while now. In the pouring rain, lots of noise, and now the baby decides to wake up and make some noise. Yeah, it's just on the floor by itself, of course. Like, what the fuck? Like, there's some random baby there. And this new guy tries to take the bloody <laughs> baby's blanket. He does take the blanket. It's like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> but they have a big discussion here about... The selfishness of man. Yeah. And obviously the third guy is like, they've left this baby here. Like, uh, everyone is selfish. Like, I'm just trying to, you know, take care of myself. They say this line here, abandoned calling another bandit is selfish. I, I'd, I'd say it's more hypocritical than selfish. doesn't really make sense to, that it's selfish to call a bandit, a, a, another bandit a bandit. Yeah. How is it selfish? Yeah. Are you making yourself feel better by doing that? I don't think so. No. I guess if you're putting someone else down, maybe you don't look as bad. And that's the selfish element to it. That's also being hypocritical. But we find out that this woodcutter, the reason why he didn't testify was because he found that dagger. And he, you know, would like to get some money from that. Yeah. And, he, you know, he comes off as quite selfish because of that. But, you know, the big, you know, big twist reveal after this, once the third guy leaves, obviously once he leaves, the ranger stops because that's how weather works. Yes. Even the priest is sort of taken aback here. Like even when the woodcutter goes to take the baby, he like he jolts back. Like he's his faith has been shaken after this uh, egregious, horrifying story he's just witnessed. Yeah, but then after this, he says, "Thanks to you, I think I can keep my faith in man." Yes, because he tells him that he has six kids. He's going to take this kid on as his seventh. Yeah, it's not even like, listen, this is a big burden and life-changing thing for me, but I'm going to do it out of the kindness of my heart. It's like a, you know what? I've got six. One more won't well, make a difference. What's another one? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah, but like you said, he, he's, he thinks he's restored his faith in man after all this, and uh, he leaves. And that is it for Rashomon. Any last words? Dean, final thoughts? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. This movie's really boring. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, it's so hard. It is so hard to rate a movie like this because I'm sure so many elements to it when it came out were just revolutionary and amazing and fascinating and interesting and all these things. But now it's just not like it's not remotely interesting for me. Like it was it was all right seeing the different versions of the stories, but like, this was a, a sub-90-minute film that felt long. That's an issue. Uh, the I mean, I, I wasn't wowed by the performances. Did the movie look okay? It was okay. It didn't blow me away. I'm honestly shocked at the reception that this film gets. Uh, I'm giving it one and a half stars, Endo. Damn. All right. I agree a lot with what you've just said. I'd seen this film before. It was one of the earlier films I watched when I started, you know, pumping through the movies way back in the day. So my opinion of it was a bit rough. And when I went and looked at it on Letterboxd, I gave it two and a half. And this is not a two and a half star film after watching it again here. There's nothing that's really standout-ish about this film. Like, yes, this may have been an innovative type of film, an innovative structure and revolutionize the way that you can tell a story back in the 50s. But the problem with that is it's 
it doesn't stand out anymore. Like there's countless films that have used this this uh, way of storytelling since then that are so much better than this film that this doesn't even like it's not even a blip on the radar anymore. This is one of these these films, these classic films from the fifties that hasn't stood the test of time for me. I the short runtime didn't really help its cause. Like it didn't it didn't make it feel short anyway. Like the the stories that they tell are wonky. They don't really make much sense. The overarching story and the theme of you know humanity and faith and that doesn't get tackled enough in this film to warrant it being there or to have it as a big you know revelation at the end. For example, I didn't really enjoy this film that much. This is a a two star film for me. Fair enough. I was the best because the crowd loved me. Dean, where is this going on your rankings? I know we're starting very low. Are we starting at the lowest? Yes, we are. All right, let's look at the very worst film on my list. At number 74 is The Seventh Seal. This is better than The Seventh Seal. Uh, Then we come up up against Ben-Hur, which amazingly I gave one and a half stars to as well. Uh, It is better than Ben-Hur. Then the next one is Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain is definitely better than this. So Rashomon is my new number, 73. All right, I'm also going to start at the very bottom here at the 75th spot against the same movie, The Seventh Seal. And I think The Seventh Seal is actually better than this. I could see myself rewatching The Seventh Seal and actually getting something out of it as opposed to watching this and be kind of bored and not really have much to say about it afterwards. So for me, this is now the new number 75 film. Fair enough. Great pick, Dean. (laughs) A bit disappointing. (laughs) Well, hopefully your pick next week can be a bit better. Fingers crossed, eh? All right, before we continue, we'd just like to say that this show is brought to you by our awesome patrons who've been supporting the show for over two years now. Hey, Dean, how good are our patrons? They're the best, Tendo. The literal best. I mean, I wouldn't even hesitate to say that all of our patrons are better than you. Wow, why are you going to hurt me like that? Well, I'm just, I'm just boosting the patrons up a bit more because they deserve it. They certainly do. We do have another weekly patron-only podcast we release, including different director series such as Wes Anderson, for example. We do several film series as well as specific films requested by our patrons. And this week coming up, we have a request from our patron Hayden Gerloff, and he has selected the Swedish mockumentary Troll Hunter. Bit of a left-field pick there, Hendo. I mean, I think it's even further away from left than you think. What's further than left? I mean, it's so left, it's gone to right. (laughs) So it's not a left-field pick at all, then? (laughs) So if you'd like to support the show, we have several different tier levels with varying rewards and benefits from as little as a dollar a month. Just head over to patreon.com slash themoviejourney. All right, mate, let's get to... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. Where we have our awesome patrons give reviews for the films that we break down. All right, let's see if anyone has more positive stuff to say about Rashomon than we do. First one here from Julio at the Contrarians. After hearing about Rashomon for years, I went into it thinking it was going to be about four slightly different versions of the same story, the devil being in the details, making the point that everyone's truths can be different, but still be true in their point of view. What I got was four wildly different accounts in the same story, four versions that can't be reconciled in any reasonable way, and that was less interesting. I've been meaning to rewatch it since, hoping that I'll be more into it now than I know what to expect. We'll see. Uh, I think you got it spot on there, Julio. Next one here from a Luke James Human. I'm not going to pretend that I know what this film is about. Thematically, it could be about perspective, truth, 
Innate selfishness. Man's inhumanity to man. The narrative device seems pretty unusual for the release date and certainly gives the film some much-needed interest. The story being told is essentially a number of versions of the same event and it is a solid core to the film. Visually, it's fairly two-note. You can either experience the monochrome camouflage of the forest scenes, where the characters frequently blend into the scenery, or the stark man-made rain-soaked temple scenes. Both have their merits, but the latter is more evocative. Not having experienced Kurosawa before, I cannot say whether the pace here is typical. Some scenes appear considered, while others seem laboured. Generally, it is a pretty slow movie. The score is either very melodramatic or non-existent, and the sound design would benefit greatly from a few more sword clangs. The performances, other than the poor fight choreography, are decent, and everyone seems to be giving it their all. This is a bit of a mystery to me, and I have been unable to see why it commands the praise that it does. Watchable, but slow, dated, and not samurai enough to satisfy my high expectations. Damn. All right, thanks guys for those reviews. But of course we've got... Okay, it's not the worst movie in the world. Ooh, strong start. (laughs) Rashomon's got to be definitely past its use-by date. Watching it, I sort of felt like in order to appreciate the fullness of the film, it required my full attention. God, was he vacuuming again? (laughs) Unfortunately, the movie was so boring, I couldn't give that to it. My experience was basically going in and out of understanding what was going on. About 30 minutes in, I had to look up a synopsis to see the basic premise of what was happening. Whilst this made the rest of the film partially coherent, I still couldn't position myself to critically observe what was happening. Meaning, if you're supposed to be trying to figure out the events to get a picture of what happened to the man and the woman, I only got a gist. And even then, it may have been fabricated on account of who was telling the story. I feel like the filmmaking craft hadn't developed to the point where the most could have been gotten out of its storyline. It was hard to relate to any of the characters. Overall, not enough happened, and I wasn't properly engaged. Looking forward to listening to the movie journey make sense of this. One and a half stars. Well, at least, Shane, this isn't going to be an in-the-mood-for-love situation where we come out, (laughs) you know, guns blazing with our four-and-a-half-star reviews. I'm with you, Shane. Uh, Yeah, great review there, Shane. All right, let's take a look at the poll I put out on Twitter to see, is Rashomon one of the 250 best films of all time? What do you think, Dean? No. 56% say yes. That's very surprising. It is. It is now tied for 31st with Mad Max Fury Road in the list of films we've done. Fair enough. All right, mate, let's get to... That's my question! The question, jerk! Where we asked you, what is your favourite film with an unreliable narrator? All right. Let's take a look over on Twitter. First one from Justin Herring. Of recent times, me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Next up from Ronnie Casal, definitely The Usual Suspects. Maybe we should have prefaced there may be some slight spoilers here if you're listening to this. Qui-Gon Glynn goes with The Shawshank Redemption. All right. I saw this uh, mentioned a few times. Yeah. Is is Does this qualify for you? Uh, Shawshank's not on my list. I, ca- I couldn't think of where it would be yeah i'm i'm the same i don't understand why multiple people have put this on this list i don't get it yeah no i'm with you uh next up from fanboy rob fight club okay i can understand that one one shot says the wolf of wall street sean says goodfellas again i don't understand the unreliable narrator element to goodfellas is it just the whole this is you know, autobiographical and maybe what was said wasn't true. Yeah, see, I've I don't got, really, I've... I don't really feel like that plays in the movie. That's more of a meta take on it. 
Yeah, like there's never a point in the film where you are led to believe that what he's saying is false. Yeah. Yeah. Herman Karlovic goes with Taxi Driver. I feel like a broken record. Again, is there an element to unreliable narrator in this film? I think there is with Taxi Driver. Because I feel like he, because he is so, you know, he's, he's some sort of, he's a bit mentally unstable. There are, I think there are points in the film where you cannot fully believe what he is saying. Yeah, but we're still seeing the events as they are, but at but the through same his time, perspective. yeah, but at the same time, we're hearing his narration on them, but we're still seeing them. And we, like a lot of the scenes in Taxi Driver, you see them and you think, he's the weirdo. There's something wrong with him. Because of how he's narrating it. I don't actually feel like what we're seeing is incorrect. I feel like we're watching it thinking his opinion on it is uh, askew. Look, I, I can see I can see Taxi Driver more than I can see the other ones. I didn't put Taxi Driver on my list, but I could, I could make a case for that more than the other ones I've heard so far. All right. Nicole Robinson says, 100% usual suspects. Fair enough. Amy Thomason goes with today's breakdown. Rushamon. Dr. Orbs says, Atonement. Hmm, interesting. Bernard Oliver says Gone Girl. Yeah, I, that plays. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Real Cut says Patrick Bateman is up there from American Psycho. Mm-hmm. And our last one on Twitter here from Tom, The Usual Suspects. All right, let's head over and check out our Facebook listener discussion group. Get on over there and join up, guys. We have a lot of fun convos over there, different types of movie-related content. And, of course, you get a chance to win some sweet, sweet merch by putting your answers in over there. Talon Crichton, finally, has gone with one answer. And it's Fight Club. Lauren Louise Scott says Milo and Otis. Interesting response. Interesting response. All right. Let's see what our patrons had to say. Dan Brennick from the Netflix and Swill podcast says, I saw a list where someone considered Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind an unreliable narrator movie. So I'm going to pick that. Okay. Do you think it is? Uh, Yes, I do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Nick Haskins says Citizen Kane. Bloody Nick. He loves Citizen Kane. Rob Manafield says Fight Club. As does Chris Beardsell. All right. Luke James Human goes with Life of Pi. That's a that's an interesting choice. Oh, it's a great choice. Uh, Nerdrovert says, oof, tough to pick just one. If I'm basing it on initial surprise and rewatchability, probably have to go with Memento. Hmm, okay. David Powell says, great topic. Could easily do a top 10. A classic David Powell. Always considers doing more than one. It's between Fight Club, Memento, and Usual Suspects for me. But I'll pick Memento due to the unreliability being so absolutely central to the film. Brother Shane says Fight Club. And our last one here from Stuart Garside. I really like The Usual Suspects as every time I watch it, there is something new I get from it. All right. Thank you very much, everyone, for putting in a response. But Dean, let's get to our top five films with an unreliable narrator. And as usual, we kick it off with you. What is your number five? My number five is Pan's Labyrinth. Very nice. My number five is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Okay. My number four is Hero. Oh, that is also my number four. (laughs) Okay. My number three. Here we go. The Usual Suspects. Ah, okay. My number three is Fight Club. My number two is Memento. My number two is The Usual Suspects. And my number one is Fight Club. And my number one is Memento. I knew that was our, I knew that was our three. It was a very obvious top three there for yeah. me. <laughs> All right. Considering it was a, quite an obvious pick for us too, we actually had six people who chose either of those two films. So, Dean, just tell me a number between one and six. Uh, four. Ah, well done, David Powell. You finally picked one and it turned out to be the right one. Well done, mate. All right. We'll get in contact with you and send you out some sweet, sweet merch. 
And if you're interested in getting your own piece of the Movie Journey Sweet Sweet merch, we have our own shop over on TeePublic. You can go pick up a t-shirt, a hoodie, coffee mug, plenty more. We'll leave a link in the show notes as well. We're both masters. Who won? How did it end? All right, Dean, it's time to find out the results of our Pod V Pod 43 movie draft between us and Jay and Ryan from the In Session Film Podcast on our blind movie draft on serial killer movies. And Jay and Ryan were Team 1, and they had The Silence of the Lambs, Zodiac, Halloween, American Psycho, and the American remake of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And we were Team 2. We had Seven, Psycho, The Frighteners, Scream, and Saw. All right, let's take a look at some responses to this. First one here is from Mr. Nicholas Haskins, formerly of Epic Film Guys, now of Mr. Nikolai's Kitchen. Says, Team In Session is like the anti-Nick list with trash like Zodiac and Dragon Tattoo in there. Team Movie Journey has Saw. Team Movie Journey by Country Mile. Not to mention Seven, The Frighteners, and Scream. Fuck, Psycho is the worst of that list. That's how good it is. Was Team In Session even trying? Wow, brutal. I love it. <laughs> All right, the Rough House podcast say Team In Session drafted a murder's row of serial killers. Plus, Santa Lambs give you two serial killers for the price of one. Team In Session all the way. Sorry, Seven. Jason at the Binge Movie Podcast, plain and simply says, Team In Session. Stories of your and yours say, I know I'm in the minority, but Zodiac doesn't do it for me. Give me Team Movie Journey, even though Silence of the Lambs is probably the best of the bunch. Mr. Sam Hurley at the Movie Reviews and 20 Qs Podcast says, damn, a couple of meh in there, but otherwise hard to pick. Great drafting, guys. Who did you pick? (laughs) Uh, Renegades say, Team In Session, Silence of the Lambs and Zodiac are awesome. Carlo says, impossible to choose. Seven is my number two film and Psycho and Scream are excellent. But Saw, it's okay. But I also don't remember the Frighteners at all. Yeah, figures. On the other hand, Silence of the Lambs is top 20 material. Zodiac and Halloween are excellent. American Psycho is pretty good. But Girl the Dragon Tattoo is a blur. Again, who did you choose? Julio <laughs> <laughs> at the Contrarians say, Team Movie Journey has the best one of the lot in seven, but Team In Session has three all-timers with Santa Lamb, Zodiac, and American Psycho. So, going with Team In Session. All right. New Horror Express says, Well, as much as we love some of the movies in Team Movie Journey, we think Team In Session just about edges it. The Vern says, Santa Lamb, Halloween, and Zodiac. Team In Session has my vote. Joe Stevenson says, on the basis I haven't seen The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Team Movie Journey has to edge it. A lot of edge talking in this uh, this part, Hendo. Is that why you like it? And lastly here on Twitter from Stuart Garside, I like Team In Session, Santa Lambs and Halloween. I haven't seen American Psycho or Psycho, and whilst Frighteners and Saw are high, that's right, Team In Session wins overall. Not enough to get our vote, though. All right, thank you very much, everyone, for putting in a response uh, and a vote, I guess. Not enough for us, though. 54% go to Jane Ryan. Well done, guys. You pulled it back to a tie. So our collective history is one win to us and a tie. So I guess you have to come back on and finally get that win for yourselves. Hey? Hey. There's this tournament. Let the tournament begin! Dean, we finally have the result of our tournament of awfulness where we had 64 films from the IMDb bottom 100. Duke it out to see which film we are going to be breaking down for our three-year anniversary coming up in December. And the match that we ever so dreaded was Battlefield Earth versus Catwoman. Have you seen this result? I have. And it's why you're, uh, why you're not so gleeful at the moment. It is with great shame that we yes. reflect on this moment in, in history. Yes, we go back to the moment when I said to Dean, hey, how about we do this tournament? 
Yada, yada, yada. Battlefield Earth will be breaking down in December. 57% defeats Catwoman. What you, have I done? Did you actually say when we need to do it? Like, can it just be a 2021 project? <laughs> it is our three-year anniversary breakdown that will happen at the start of December. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, well, you, I have to go by what your response is. You've seen the film. I haven't seen it. I mean, it's pretty good, let's be honest. Oh, yeah, sure. John Travolta is a acting tour de force. I mean, it's got Forrest Whitaker in it. I mean, that's got to be good, yeah? It's got that other supporting guy who's in everything. I think he's in Saving Private Ryan. Piper? Matt Damon. Is it someone Piper? He might be in the Green Mile as well. Anyway, we'll get to that. Yes, unfortunately. So, what's next? All right, Hendo, it's your pick for next week this time. Uh, What are you going to go with this time? So, you went with something you hadn't seen that was foreign in the, you know, somewhat samurai genre. I am doing the exact same. Oh, no. Come on. Yeah. I'm going with a film, one of the rare films on the list that I haven't seen as well. It is from the early 60s. It is a samurai film as well. It is one of the more recent films to debut onto the list. Very high at number 33. Let's break down Harakiri. Harakiri, nice. Wow, very uh, samurai heavy, Hendo. Yes, we're going for a big samurai-themed month here. (laughs) Who knows what our random one will be. That'd be ridiculous if we get something like Seven Samurai. (laughs) All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you very much, everyone, for checking it out. And we'll see you next week for Harakiri. Bye. Bye.